Hey guys, before we start today, wanted to remind you that ESPN is now in partnership with Peyton Manning's Omaha Production, and they're presenting Always College Football, with ESPN College Football analyst Greg McElroy taking a deep dive into the sport with the biggest names on and off the field. With off-seasons being a thing of the past, truly, over the last week or so in college football, McElroy goes year-round with analysis, opinions, and insight on top teams and under-the-radar stories from coast to coast. That's Always College Football. Listen wherever you get your pods. Welcome back to the Mina Kimes Show featuring Lenny, the only NFL podcast where one of the hosts thinks you need hind legs to execute a backside dig. That's Lenny. I'm Mina Kimes, and I am joined on this holiday week by a guest who actually, according to producer Dan Stanzik, was on this podcast on this exact date last year. Marcel, Louis-Jacques, oh. you are here to preview the AFC East. But first, I'm going to ask you what uh, Dan asked me. What about the AFC East to you screams independence? independence um i think it probably leads the league in teams with the red white and blue color scheme mm. so uh we've we got the bills answer. and you got the patriots that, that's about as patriotic <laughs> as it gets right that's actually such a good answer uh <laughs> didn't wow <laughs> you're asking me right on the fly yeah well um it's pretty obvious why i have you on to cover the at least obvious to anyone who knows you because you did cover the bills now you cover the dolphins at what point are you going to move to Boston or New York? You should do the, it's like the EGOT. You should cover every team and just switch every couple of years. I should just be like the Ryan Fitzpatrick of ESPN <laughs> NFL Nation. Like, uh, cause I'm not, I definitely don't want to leave ESPN. I want to put that extremely out there. But uh, um, I think that the, but I think the money to move me to Boston does not exist. So. Um, <laughs> well, also you live in Miami. I mean, you, you executed one of the great, uh, all-time ESPN beat moves. I mean, no offense to Buffalo. No offense. I like Buffalo. None. I've been there. Bills fans can't be mad at me because I picked them to win the Super Bowl. I've been so high on them. But you really did level up. Yeah, that's like the first thing that everybody says. Like when they say, oh, well, where'd you move here from? Uh, Buffalo. Oh, man, I bet you're happy. Uh, yeah, you know, I'm doing well. But you I'm like Buffalo. Well. I love Buffalo. Like, uh, and I know, you know, Anything that can be perceived as a slight in Buffalo will be taken and met with force by those fans. I know. So, uh, I was like, I picked you first in both offense and defense before I started. I don't know if you listen to those pods. Um, so I, I feel like I can't do wrong in the eyes of Bills fans this summer. But maybe I'm, I, I don't want to test that. I really don't because I, I fear you guys. I do. Hey, I thought I could do no wrong. And I've definitely had my mentions blown up once or twice or three, four, five, six, seven times since I left. But no, I loved it up there. I loved it up there. Good food, good people. Uh, you know, I, I appreciate a town that revolves around its sports teams, especially mm -hmm. as a sports reporter. So it, it was really like a like a small town college field more than an NFL city. But uh, yeah, besides Buffalo to Miami, besides maybe Detroit to Atlanta, shout out Mike Rothstein, uh, that's probably... Yeah, I don't think there's a lot of people who would not do the migration that I did. Well, we'll talk about the Bills at the end because I have because I've been doing those rankings. I have talked about them a lot. Um, one team that did come up on the defense one, but you know I, I haven't really gotten into 
deep since the Tyree Hill trade is, of course, the one you cover. And I figured we should start there, even though um, I tend to like spend too much time time on the first team. So th- this might be a risky move, but I don't <laughs> care. I want to talk about the Dolphins with you. I want to get into it and I want to start with the offense um, because that, you know, that is really one of the biggest stories of the offseason, the amount of everything, but especially money that they've invested into this offense to support Tua Tagovailoa. Uh, and that goes from the coaching hire, of course, as well, or includes rather the coaching hire as well. Um, and before we get into the additions, I, I kind of want to ask you about last year, though. Like, you know, the Dolphins at one point were, I think, in the final last eight or seven games. They, like, won almost all of them, but that was largely because of the defense. What did you see from Tua in that second half of the season that they were winning uh, that made you either encouraged or discouraged going into this year? Well, that was what was so weird about that winning streak was if you guys remember when Tua came back from those fractured ribs there in, uh, I believe it was week five against Jacksonville up in London, he played maybe the best two-game stretch of his career against the Jags and the Falcons. I, I, I think 300-plus yards in both games. Uh, he looked like he looked like a, a legit NFL starter in both games. Like, wow, this kid came out firing. But Miami lost both of those games. And yeah. so it, got, it made you kind of like ask the question, like, huh, if Tua can still play like this and or can play out this and the team still loses, then, I mean, how, what does that say about the viability of this roster as currently constructed? But then there was just this seismic flip in which he – stopped necessarily pushing the ball too far downfield. He stopped, you know, having to be the end-all, be-all for Miami. Uh, the defense took over. They played really bad teams. Like yes. I, I know that Dolphins fans hate that argument, but I think that considering what happened when they played the only good team of that stretch, the Titans, Oof. in Week 17, and rough. they got boat raced, we have to, the argument has to be made. Like they they played horrible teams, uh, but they still you can only play teams on your schedule, and they did exactly what you're expected to do when you play teams that are worse for me than you, which is beat them. And then they beat the they beat the Ravens at home. Mm. I thought that was an excellent game. That was one of the most masterful defensive, defensive. performances that we saw last year. Defensive performances, defensive. yeah. <laughs> so uh, you know, I think that Tua had a lot to prove coming this into this offseason. And mm-hmm. I think that you can, even as a Dolphins fan, you can say that objectively, that he was never particularly the reason why Miami won any of those games down the stretch, save a icing 65, I think, yard touchdown to Mac Hollins against the Jets um, at MetLife. I thought that was, uh, that was about as clutch as he, as he got last season. But uh, he had a lot to prove, and... I think the team, the front office itself, had a lot to prove in terms of building around him because he's just not really that kind of quarterback, respectfully. He's not the kind of quarterback that you can just plug in on any average roster and let him run wild. You know what I mean? I think the question always with the last couple of years, so we'll get to what the current roster, which is obviously very different, was how much of Tua's occasional struggles, the lack of aggression at times... How much of that is Tua versus how much of it is the offensive line, right? Which, for a second, uh, Dolphins fans did not like criticism of their offensive <laughs> line. But uh, I think they've all come around on that, or at least they did last year. 
uh, when they ranked last year, this group, which looks very different now, we'll talk about them, ranked 32nd in pass block win rate. Um, and, you know, when you watch them and you saw, like, it's it, most RPO-heavy offense in the NFL, um, very bad at running the ball, which is interesting for, you know, I mean, also probably ha- handicapped them in the RPO sense. Um, you know, they were doing a lot to both protect Tua, but also pr- to protect the offensive line. Or I guess, let me rephrase that. That was the question. Like, is this about Tua or is it about the offensive line? Where do you come down looking back at the last year? Yeah, I think the the RPO was it, it was less. I think about playing the two of strengths and more about he needs to get the ball off yeah. quickly, and we need to manufacture passing windows however possible. And uh, so that's where I think that came in. But uh, the offensive line, it was it's such an enigma, man, because like I came back from the combine and. The people I'd spoken with and the assumption that I was under is that this new Dolphins staff didn't see offensive line as as big of an issue as it saw its playmakers and wide receivers. And when I said that, people called me names. (laughs) They called me names. I didn't appreciate most of them. Uh, But mostly they said I was crazy. And I think that's what we've seen. I mean, they added Teron Armstead. That was huge. They added Connor Williams. That was big. But they've been playing Connor Williams at center. Yeah. They're, they're expected to play Connor Williams at center. And it, it's not really like the, it's not the whole scale change that I think fans were expecting. And I think what the staff said when they watched film was there's talent on this offensive line. They were not put in position to succeed. Hmm. Uh, Lemuel Jean-Pierre, who, you know, former NFL player, former Seahawks. Former Seahawk, <laughs> now that I think about it, Lemuel Jean-Pierre, he was a first year offensive line coach. And he wasn't ready. He wasn't ready mm. for that position. And again, that's with all due respect. And I think the kind of proof is in the numbers last year. He just wasn't ready to develop that kind of young offensive talent yet. He was kind of like uh, Flores had already fired four offensive line coaches. I think he Ooh, was like the fourth really? or fifth in three years. Jeez. He fired an offensive line coach like a week in a training camp in his first year. <laughs> so like there's this it wasn't seen as a stable position in the, across the league. So he had to go with Jean-Pierre, and Jean-Pierre wasn't ready. He will be someday, which is why he's still on the staff, but that's kind of what they yeah. were under last year. And also, there were some signs of hope. Like, they were one of the better teams in terms of run-block win rate in the NFL last year. I, I want to say they were ninth. But miraculously, in, they were like 30th, I think, in uh, average yards before contact. Huh. So it was like, you feel like the talent could be there, yeah. but, you well, know, both flags cancel out and let's start over was kind of their deal. It, it, I mean, looking at the depth chart now, obviously you had Teron Armstead, who's one of the better left tackles in the NFL, but you need him to stay healthy or it kind of all falls apart, you know? Um, yeah. And I guess the, the, they're sliding Liam Eikenberg to guard. Robert Hunt's probably been the best offensive lineman they've or the most consistent one, I guess, that they've had. Also, of course, touchdown scoring legend. Uh, but the it, dude, Austin Jackson's still playing right tackle, correct? Or he's he's gonna be the starting is, right tackle? Yeah, you know, I gotta like dance around what exactly I'm allowed to report from uh, from camp. Yeah, but uh, he is he is playing on to his blind side. I think they expect yeah. him to play on to his blind side. And, well, yeah. I mean, the other thing yeah. though, I want to say, like, aside from so they brought in Matt Applebaum as the new coach, and you know these veterans. I mean. 
there's also kind of like, and this is maybe where we can kind of talk about the, the offense of what it'll look like, the hope that a schematic shift to, I mean, I assume with Mike McDaniel, who of course was the uh, run game coordinator for San Francisco, you're going to see more of a zone blocking scheme. Um, I, I'd be curious to hear your thoughts on how you think this offensive line is built for that, whether it might help them. And then also just how Tua fits into that. Because like you said, we've seen this kind of like very RPO centric, very limited offense Somebody in the NFL once told me, like, if you have a bad offensive line, you have to cut your playbook in half. And I think just watching the Dolphins, that seemed, you know, you could really see that on display. So here comes Mike B. Daniel. I assume we know what he wants to do because it's kind of, I assume it's similar to what they did in San Francisco. Um, and when I think about that, like, I think it, it should work because Tua, however you feel about Jimmy Garoppolo, there's a fair amount of similarities there. Yeah, he's a, you know, he catches a lot of flack because of the, you know, perceived lack of, of arm strength, but he is a very accurate quarterback. He's, yes. a, you know, especially when he can make decisions quickly uh, and get the ball out quickly, like he is pinpoint accurate. And they're not going to be asking him, as, as McDaniel told us, like they're not going to be asking him to throw the ball 75 yards down the field every game. Like even having a quarterback that does that, like you're not, it's not like that's your go-to play. You know what I mean? Like, it, it, it doesn't matter how far you could throw it if the play can't develop. So that does fall into, you know, how much protection can you get from the offensive line? But, I mean, there's there's talent and there's athleticism and there's, you know, moldable youth on this offensive line. They've spent, I think it's four top 100 picks mm-hmm. on offensive linemen over the past four years. It, it, it's not like you don't just miss on all of them. Like, that's that almost takes more talent to miss on every pick than it does to hit on every pick. Like you, you can't be that bad at evaluating offensive line play. Liam Eikenberg was not coming into the draft. He was not seen as a bad tackle. You've seen as one of the better tackles in that class. Austin Jackson. Yes. A little bit of a reach, but at one point was a very highly mm-hmm. touted player and he's still young. He's still athletic. He can still move his feet. Uh, Solomon Kinley, I think is, I think is a miss. I think he's a miss. Uh, you know, I don't like to comment really on players' weight because I, I don't know how much he weighs. I don't know what you did this offseason. But he he looked large and he looked slow during mm. spring camp. That's not a great sign as you got a first – you got a new chance at a first impression with the new staff. Uh, and then, you know, like I said, Eichenberg – and Rob Hunt, my bad. Rob Hunt, we saw the athleticism. Yes. We know what he can do with the ball in or out of his hands. So, you know, they, there's hope that when – placed in a position to succeed and when asked to do things that play to their strength that this is an offensive line that you know it might not be the best in the NFL or top 10 even but this is an offensive line they can at least play and win games with it's not I think it's not uh they didn't think that last season was indicative of what this unit is capable of but when you're watching them at you know camp thus far does it look like the Niners like what you're seeing from the offense um, what are the not, differences? Not quite. Uh, we saw such a, it's hard because we saw such a uh, watered down version. It was a lot of install. So mm-hmm. I think that I'd be better suited to answer that question once training camp starts. Yeah. Plus I don't, I'm not a hundred percent sure I'm allowed to say oh, Okay. With, <laughs> well, with let me, let, let's rephrase that about what you, what you saw. Let's talk about like what it should be. Right. So, you know, I, I, 
I don't know if Dolphins fans are going to be mad that I just compared Tua to Jimmy Garoppolo, but I meant it as a compliment because Jimmy Garoppolo is very effective in Kyle Shanahan's offense. Like you said, they're both accurate. I think both actually rank pretty high on efficiency metrics, efficiency, pardon me, metrics throwing deep, very high. I, I think both of them are probably top three. They just didn't throw deep that often, which skews it a right. little bit. Um, and they're both really good at throwing on the run, which of course is a hallmark of that offense. Tua, I was just pulling quarter, uh, numbers of quarterbacks throwing on the run because I wanted to see Matt Ryan, but Tua ranked third in completion percentage over expectation when he was on the move, fifth in EPA per dropback on designed rollouts. You got to think that's going to be a, a huge feature of this offense. Yeah, and you know that is a massive stat to the whole arm strength crowd because uh, you you can't just throw on the run if you've got noodle arms like it, that that does take without without a solid base to throw from like that does take a wee bit of arm strength so like that's a that's a feather in his cap but uh, you know I think that they have better there are better playmaking options right. in this offense in Miami than there were in San Francisco I think there's there are more of them as well uh and it's the only upgrade i would say is you know obviously kittle over mike Kaseki, but it's not like Kaseki is spare parts yeah he, he's still a legitimate receiving tight end but just totally so I, I think that totally different player yeah and most of these yeah. players like you said are very different from the ones in san francisco yeah you know and like tyree kill is not just going to be like the new debo i yeah. think that was that was like a knee-jerk reaction that a lot of people had well at first it was jalen waddle and that was ridiculous because Jalen Waddle is maybe 170 pounds, and you're not going to get that guy hit 20 times a game. It's ridiculous. But uh, Tyree Kill might play a little more similar of a role to it, but I think you're going to see multiple players do the Debo role rather than just one guy. I think you're going to see Tyree Kill line up in the backfield. I think you're going to see Eric Izakama. I think every now and then you might see Jalen Waddle on a on a jet sweep, and uh, you know this is all hypothetical. I'm not you know yeah. running down things I've seen. But like, I think you're going to see multiple people do that here. And honestly, they're just so – and there's so much speed at, at, at every level that as a defense, like, if you get caught up in the misdirection, if you, you know, if you lose sight of your man for a split second, if you follow the ball too much, if you bite on a fake, it, it has catastrophic potential for you. Like, that – that could be a touchdown. Any there's home run hitters abound on this yeah. team. Yeah, I mean I, I think, you know, when the Hill trade happened, there was a, obviously Tyreek Hill himself has kind of stoked the flames of uh <laughs> comparisons by talking about how, you know, two is more accurate than Pat or whatever and this and that. But uh, and then trying to defend him after the infamous deep ball video that Miami Dolphin Social posted. But to me, like it just seemed you know, a Tyree Kill, Jalen Waddle, Cedric Wilson, who is really good, I, I think, as a number three is just, wow. All these guys can stretch the field both vertically and horizontally. And even if Tyree Kill is like, um, you know, you, like you said, you're going to want to use him horizontally, the vertical threat is going to create so many opportunities underneath for Waddle and Wilson, who are both, as you said, incredibly dangerous after the catch. I don't know. I just think this offense is going to be good. And that... I think the question is, like, will they be great? You know what I mean? Like, how good can they be? What's the ceiling? But I think the floor is pretty high. Yeah, it's um, – it, it. what's the phrase? I think the, the front office really isolated the variable. That's it. They really isolated yeah. the variable this offseason in which 
you know, there's no there's no more excuses for Tua. And I want to clarify before you start yelling at your listening device, Dolphins fans, when we say no more excuses, we're not saying that Tua is the one making excuses. It, really, it's you guys. <laughs> like, there, there's no more of you guys saying, well, the line is bad. Oh, he's no one to throw to. Oh, this coaching staff doesn't like him. Right. His coach loves him. The line is better. He's throwing to Tyreek Hill and Jalen model. Oh, yeah. there's no run game. It's Raheem Mostert and Chase Edmonds. Mm. Oh, the defense. It's the same exact defense as last year. Wait, wait. So, yeah, it, it really is the same, by the way. Can I, can I pause you there? Because I'm looking at the depth chart. Um, and, and aside from the addition of Melvin Ingram, it doesn't, nothing is really jumping out to me as being different on this defense. No, they're returning. Uh, I believe it's every starter from, wow. from last season. Uh, Jason McCourty is no longer there. And Justin Coleman, who's you know was a depth piece at at uh, defensive back, is no longer there. Um, there's one more. I think it's Vince Beagle is not there, but he was a late season signee and more of a rotational player. They're returning every starter, and you know they made a point to re-sign their entire in, inside linebacker room. Um, obviously, Xavier mm-hmm. Howard got the new deal. Uh, they tendered Nick Needham at, at nickelback, who's probably one of the more underrated and versatile nickelbacks in the NFL. Um, And then, you know, you really keep an eye on that trio uh, on the interior defensive line of uh, Christian Wilkins, uh, Raekwon Davis, and then Zach Sealer, who I don't know if a lot of NFL fans, casual NFL fans are familiar with, but he was one of the more underrated interior defensive linemen last year in terms of creating pressure and, and winning his pass rushes. This is a trio to really watch. And then, Adding Melvin Ingram, like you mentioned before, is massive to a team that re-signed Emmanuel Ogba and already has uh, Andrew Van Ginkle uh, on the edge as well. And then I think an X factor there is going to be Jalen Phillips, how he develops in year two. Uh, eight and a half sacks last year set a Dolphins rookie record. But uh, you know they, they need him to take maybe more of a commanding role as a, as a pass rushing threat in 2022 than last year when they more or less started him kind of slow. Mm. So obviously Brian Flores is gone, but they also retain their defensive coordinator, Josh Boyer, just kind of on the subject of continuity. Do you think that means basically the defense schematically is going to be the same? I mean, you know, anyone who's watched them knows this is a defense that blitzes like crazy. I think second behind Tampa. Um, Yes. Something that jumped out to me, so I was curious, like, how their defense performed with and without blitzing. They had the sixth lowest QBR, which is good, obviously, when they blitzed, and six when they didn't. Um, They actually uh, even allowed a better QBR, lower, when the quarterback wasn't pressured, which speaks to the coverage abilities. I mean, does that square with what you've seen out of that secondary? Basically, and so what what the ideal result for this defense is they obviously they want the quarterback to throw the ball before he's comfortable, which I think every, yeah. every team does. The difference is they've got Zayvon Howard, Byron Jones, and Javon Holland in the secondary. Javon Holland. So you make a mistake, you, you know, throw the ball for your receivers ready. You try to throw into a window that may or may not be there. These are, those are three guys that can make you pay specifically with Zayvon Howard, who's, you know, one of the leading interception artists in the NFL since he entered the league. So uh, and then beyond that, you know, if they're just if they just want to send four, let's say. Their defensive backs are so good in man and zone coverage. I think it's kind of a misconception that they play 
extremely heavy man yeah. defense. I think they're middle of the pack in terms of how much man they ran, considering how much they blitzed. But they're so good in coverage that it's going to be hard for one of those windows to open up to you. And so, you know, they can get you with the coverage sack or they can force a turnover uh, if they do send the house. Uh, they're also one of the NFL's leaders in in uh, showing blitz and showing uh, cover zero. They, you know, they'll, that was what that was what gave Lamar Jackson nightmares on Thursday night football last year yeah. was they were lining Brandon Jones and Javon Holland up at the line of scrimmage. Sometimes it's, they'd send, sometimes they drop back, but they're showing like six or seven on the line of scrimmage and then going into whatever their coverage is after. Uh, so I think it's just, it, it screams versatility. It, it screams multiple looks. And that's what I would expect them to do this season, more of this season with mm. Josh Boyer, at the helm it's also you know same i believe same linebackers coaches uh different defensive back coaches they brought in sam madison to coach corners which i think is extremely cool extremely cool <laughs> pat Sertan is also a defensive assistant which i mean like <laughs> wow if they if they went back to the throwback jerseys then <laughs> I, I think this would probably well, be a perfect offseason i i creep kind of creepily whispered i love javon holland when you mentioned javon holland but i do want to like <laughs> kind of address yes, that please. he's so <laughs> Good. I really liked him in college too, but um, so second round draft pick last year, I think he could be a star and he has such good range. Um, you know, he can really play that center fielder role in a way that just enables them to do so much else. You alluded to them playing more zone. The, the Dolphins played a ton of cover three and that was in large part because of Javon Holland, because with McCourty gone, I guess Brandon Jones is going to be the other starting safety I mean, I think of him as, you know, he he got a lot of pressure on the quarterback, but his coverage abilities, to my eye, you know, are, we'll see. But you really need Javon Holland uh, to make this defense work. Yeah, it, when I believe he missed the game with, with COVID last year, and you could tell the difference. Him and Jalen Waddell, you could tell the difference when they're not on the field. It was just an incredible rookie class. But uh, I, I remember, I think it was Football Outsiders uh, wrote something uh, a few weeks or months ago i don't know time's not real but they said <laughs> that safety was <laughs> miami's weakest position really and hmm. yeah you know it ran on espn so people didn't read the byline and i i must have gotten that screenshot 600 times like 600 <laughs> times before i was like guys please i i, I have five tweets that i could find like that <laughs> of me calling javon holland a star last year oh. i love this kid I love this kid. Like you said, the range, the versatility, the ball skills. Uh, they use him as a blitzer a little bit last year too, and I'm sure who doesn't that blitz his... in this defense? Who has not? Who has not been yeah. used as a blitzer in Miami? Exactly. No, everybody. Everybody blitzes. Like it's got to be the most fun defense that you that you play in because it's like all right, you're going to do everything. Defensive backs love to be able to hit the quarterback every now and then. So if, if you if you put a Dolphins jersey on, you might blitz, but. Uh, mm -hmm. He is just, he takes away, he's a deep ball deterrent. That's, that's kind of what he, he's fashioned himself into, not unlike uh, like a Micah Hyde in, in Buffalo, who, you know, maybe isn't like, may, as of late, I think a lot of people around the league are getting to know him, but he kind of flew under the radar for as, for as good as he is. But he has the same type of range and closing ability. Like, you remember that? That uh, that interception Hyde had on Mac Jones in the playoff game yeah. last year, where he just like came out of nowhere and it was like I, he wasn't even on the screen when the ball was in the air. 
that's the kind of range that Javon Holland provides this defense. Let's, uh, you know, I don't want to put you on the spot, but I think it's widely agreed that the Bills are going to win this division and, you know, they're seen as a Super Bowl favorite. What do you feel like is the, I don't want to say ceiling for Miami, but do you feel like second in the division wild card is a reasonable expectation? I think it's reasonable. Um, and I don't, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to slide in here with kind of a, kind of a spicy take. I don't think it's extremely unreasonable to think that Miami could win oh, the wow. AFC East. Wow. I don't think it's, I don't think it's that unreasonable just because, just because Buffalo's got to play a first place schedule this year. New England's got to play the second place schedule and they're not good. So you know, it, there was a point last year, Miami only lost this division by two games last season and they were bad for half the year so like it, it's not necessarily a matter of like Miami is just as good as Buffalo is it's that like that's that doesn't always matter you know that doesn't always matter sometimes wow. it's just how the how the schedule fall I don't I don't think that like I'm gonna fall off the roof if if Miami puts itself in position to to win they're they have a really easy middle of the pack middle of the season schedule this year that uh you know, like I said, it's not inconceivable, I think. But uh, wild card is absolutely more realistic. Well, let's talk about the other team that I think people, I don't know, maybe people have the Jets at second. But I, I see a lot of like maybe Miami, maybe Patriots for a second. Um, let's talk about New England. Um, starting with, I guess, let, let, let's start with the offense here. Um, so I actually took some time to go back and watch a little Mac Jones, uh, you know, in the second half of the season. And, you know, like, they're. first of all, I want to start by saying this Patriots offense finished 10th in passing DVOA and 7th in rushing. Mac Jones had an amazing rookie season for them. I think everybody there is pretty thrilled with the draft pick, showed a lot of, you know, accuracy, maturity, things you want out of your rookie quarterback, obviously performed much better than any of the other ones, including one we'll talk about uh, next, I think, after this <laughs> team. Um, but, you know, they, they did struggle a little bit down the stretch, and I think you saw Mac Jones face the most man coverage of any quarterback in the NFL over the course of the entire season. You saw some struggles versus man, I think, in particular, as the season went on. Um, you watched him against Miami, obviously twice. What did you see out of him I guess, you know, good and bad and perhaps near the end of the season when there was a little bit of a downturn. Yeah, I covered his his NFL debut, like his regular season ah. debut. And I'll be honest here, and I think I said it at the time, so Dolphins fans don't get to be mad at me. I, If I knew nothing about the league, if that was the first game I'd ever watched, I would have thought that Mac Jones was the second-year quarterback and Tua yeah. was the rookie. Like, he, mm. his... His arm talent might not be anything crazy, but his poise is what impressed me. His pocket awareness, the way he would step up, the way he threw the ball away when there wasn't anything there, the way he didn't force throws was like, wow, no, maybe maybe they know what they're talking about up in New England after all. Uh, so I, I do think that I think that Mac is maybe not worth all of the conversation that he got last year, but I think that he is a he's a solid quarterback, you know, in terms of you know, to bring up Dan Orlovsky's list of like quarterbacks that you win because of and QBs mm. you win in spite of. I think he maybe straddles that line a little bit. He's kind of a tweener and maybe 
more of a in spite of quarterback than a because of quarterback. But uh, I, I don't think he's like a he's not detrimental to this offense at all. Uh, I, I think that they need more around him. I think it's yeah. a well kind of talentless well, yeah, group of last, pass catchers outside you, you of tight end. Do you still feel that? So I guess let's talk about that because you know I, I alluded to the man thing. I didn't really get into it. I think similarly to the Tua thing where you're like, is it the offensive line or is it Tua? I think with the man, and, and he wasn't even that bad against it, by the way. But there's a reason why defenses do that, you know? And yes. um, some of it was, I think, you know, challenging him to, uh, in terms of arm strength to make some of the throws required versus those coverage looks. And then a, a, another part of it was that the Patriots didn't have receivers who could really separate and beat man coverage. So it's not all on Mac Jones. One thing I want to say, by the way, I, I did notice in my rewatch, um, especially when he was facing man, is he's an excellent pocket manager already. And something I loved was when defenses would turn his back on them, he did show a willingness to step up in muddy pockets and, you know, not, not necessarily to scramble, although he did a few times, but to really, um, you know, keep his eyes downfield and throw. And uh, I guess I didn't know if he had that in him coming into the NFL, so I was really impressed by it. Um, yeah, so I want to I say that first. But as far as the man thing, like, this offense went out at a Devontae Parker, which is, I think, fascinating. We should probably talk about, obviously, coming from Miami. (laughs) And then they drafted Tyquan Thornton in the second round, who's basically a speedster out of Baylor. Do you feel... So now you got Devontae Parker, Kendrick Bourne, Jacoby Myers, Thornton, I guess Nelson Aguilar, and then, of course, the tight ends. How do you feel about this group of skill players, very good running backs, we shouldn't overlook that, obviously, Damian Harris, Supermonday Stevenson, who I think is going to have a big year, and then they drafted Pierre Strong, too. But, like, do you feel like the changes that they've made at receiver are good enough to address some of the issues we've been talking about? No, I do not. Um, and it mostly revolves around the guy that we just mentioned coming from Miami, Devontae Parker. Uh, there was a reason why Devontae Parker was traded in the division mm. because they were that low on him in Miami. They were that low on him. It wasn't like a long-standing request. It was they watched film and they did not like what they saw because as good of a 50-50 ball and jump ball threat as Devontae can be, he does not separate. He does not separate. And when you look at Dolphins receivers over the past, I think it's two or three seasons, they are bottom three in the league in terms of average yards of separation. So if it, it didn't make much sense to me to watch a team with a quarterback who struggled against, not struggled, but wasn't particularly good against man coverage with receivers who couldn't separate, you added one of the worst separators in the NFL, one of the most expensive separators or non-separators in the NFL at that. So I I just don't, I don't see how that's, I don't see how that's going to work. Um, You know, I like the speed that Thornton brings. I like Jacoby Myers a lot. I liked him a lot at, uh, at NC State as well. Um, you know, Aglor every now and then can be, hmm. can give you a decent game, give you 50, 60 yards. It, but I, I just don't, I don't think that they really moved the needle this off season. And, uh, I, maybe some of that is just because I'm not too big of a believer in, in Devonte Parker for what, in terms of what this team needs, what I think Mac Jones needs. Yeah. I mean, you, you can definitely see him being useful, um, I would say for, certainly in the red zone, right? Uh, but also, 
maybe on some of that gosh i'm trying to think of like well actually this is a good point to hit pause we also don't know what the patriots offense is going to look like um and you Very know true. i've been thinking about these steel players and running backs in the context of like what it looked like last year but of course uh josh mcdaniels is gone uh there's been some murkiness about whether or not um joe judge or matt patricia is going to be calling plays but something i found fascinating uh I think I, Pro Football Talk had a piece about it. I don't know which of the Patriots reporters. So, with you know the, the offensive line, there's been some changes. They drafted Cole Strange. Shaq Mason is gone. I still think they're good, um, but apparently they've been. I don't know if like it's fair to say they've been transitioning to an outside zone scheme and you know more. It's funny we we just talked about this with Tua, but it seems like they're doing some of that in new England now. Um, and, you know, maybe putting Matt Mac on the move, um, you know, booting him out, shot plays off of play action. And I actually think that might help him, you know, more and help the receivers more than, despite the fact that maybe there wasn't like the kind of upgrade at talent you saw in Miami, because, you know, at times the Patriots offense, was so congested last year. And they, at some point, they did start kind of opening things up for Mac more. But I think the more they can move in that direction, um, I think maybe it doesn't have to be the whole offense necessarily, but if they can get better spacing for Mac and for these receivers, I think they could have some success. Yeah, it's one of those, like, you, you kind of have to manufacture your manufacture your, your space a little bit and, and manufacture your production a little bit. But I mean, that's part of coaching and, and place game, right? Like that's yeah. that's what it's there for. You can't just expect guys to run out and automatically, you know, figure it out on their own. That's otherwise, why do you need coaches? So it, I think that 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 would make sense. But like you said, it was a great point. We have no idea what their plan is on yeah. offense. I we would assume that it's going to be kind of similar to last year, just because they have a kind of similar core of, of players and good running backs and drafted two or three more so you think that they would go run heavy again but i'm just not i'm not sure it's one of those like things to watch with a lot of intent come come yeah. training camp yeah I mean, i'll be really uh, fascinated to see if this run game you know which is we think of as like a very power heavy rushing attack if it evolves at all i mean obviously they've still got you know trent brown is massive 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 man but like then you have a guy like cole strange who i think people were kind of surprised by how early um, they took him in the first round, including obviously the uh, the Rams. Um, <laughs> you know, he, he comes from an outside zone offense, as I understand it. I'm not going to pretend like I was grinding Chattanooga tape. Um, as well as, you know, I, I think if you do some of this stuff, suddenly when you have, have these young players coming out of college who all kind of come from uh, a very... Like, New England's offense is very, very different from college and very... It's, there's an, a, an adjustment, right, because of the yeah. complexity of it, especially including for, like, wide receivers. And the more college that this offense can get, I wonder if it'll be easier for them to kind of transition some of these young players into it. Um, we'll see. I don't know. It's a big mystery. I'm fascinated. I'm still – I'm high on Jones. I'm definitely higher on Jones than I was before the draft. But I, I share your concerns about, you know, whether they did enough to help him. Um, I'm also concerned about – the defense, uh, there are some pretty, I don't want to say, well, holes is the right word. Like, cornerback is just still a massive, massive issue for this unit. 
Yeah, seeing J.C. Jackson leave and uh, shipping out Stephon Gilmore last year, it made you. It did make you kind of wonder about their plan. And it, this feels like kind of on brand for Bill Belichick, in which he's like, "All right, I don't need superstars." But that worked when I think he had Tom Brady. Not to keep bringing up the Brady argument, but I think that having that failsafe made up for a lot of personnel decisions. And that failsafe doesn't exist anymore. So it's what you're, you're rolling out Jalen Mills and Jonathan Jones as your starting corners. Uh, it's, you know, I love me some Jack Jones as an Arizona State alumnus. They, but they love him, by the way. They think he might start. Which I, I hope he does as a, you know, like I said, as a former devil. Got to make up for the last impression that Arizona State made on New England. Uh, the Nikhil Harry project didn't, yeah. didn't work. Mm. Shame. But I think that. You know, I like Jack Jones. He's a good playmaker. Just uh, I think it, his his issue in college was, you know, it was off field and it was maybe staying focused and keeping his composure on the on the field. But uh, there's talent there, obviously. It's just it's not he's not J.C. Jackson. There's not yeah. really anybody in that secondary that I would say scares you. But, uh, you know, I think Jabril Peppers in, in, at safety is intriguing. Uh, I still like Kyle Duggar, liked him a lot. Uh, coming out of college, but uh, no, it, it's not a, it's not the New England secondary that we've grown accustomed to over mm-hmm. the past, we'll call it three or four seasons. I think we're going to see a lot of dime out of this defense. Um, you know, you mentioned Peppers and Duggar, and then of course still got McCordy, the ageless Devin McCordy. Um, Adrian Phillips has been, of course, excellent for them as kind of that jack of all trades. Um, you know, literally playing every position on the defense. And I think just all of those, Duggar is the same way. The level of versatility and the ability to confuse you get from having these types of players makes me think, and, and c- combined with the lack of talent at corner and lack of depth, you probably want the safeties on the field as much as possible. You also want them on the field instead of the off-ball linebackers, which is a another weakness of this team. They're getting younger. Um, you know, you, you I guess... Man, Raekwon McMillan, whew. I guess he's penciled in as a starter for them. Juwan Bentley. I mean, it, it is a big question mark after moving on from Hightower. So I think you're going to want your safeties to compensate for that. I also think, though, for them to succeed, and of course they were very good last year, um, they're going to need Josh Uche in particular to take a big step up uh, opposite Matt Judon. Um, you know, Chase Winovich is gone. Van Noy has gone. Someone. You know, I, I, I've professed my, I, I think the, the D line is, is totally fine and actually pretty deep. I, mean, I love Christian Barmore, but they need someone other than Judon to get to the quarterback. Yeah. You need multiple. I mean, that's, that's pass rushing in the NFL right now. It's, I think the big names, you know, the TJ Watts of, of the world are, are obviously nice, but the more effective way is just to be able to send waves of pass rushers yeah. at opposing quarterbacks throughout the course of the game. So it can't just be, it can't just be one guy. Uche needs to step up. And uh, again, like we'll see Anthony Jennings can also, uh, mm. Anthony Jennings, I know was a, he was a decent pass rusher at Alabama. We'll see if he can tap into that, um, you know, with opportunity this season, but it, it's just not, you know, I think we just, we assume that Bill Belichick is going to coach a good defense and I think I'm still, you know, brainwashed into giving him the I'm not betting of the until I see otherwise. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, yeah, I spend like you know, 30 minutes being like, man, there's a lot of holes in the roster. And I'm like, yeah, they'll probably finish top five. They'll be fine. 
Yeah, they're going to be fine. <laughs> they'll be fine. They'll eight, be fine. eight at worst. Will they? We'll they're definitely not going to play as much man. And I, yeah, we'll see. Um, interesting, interesting year for New England. A lot of uncertainty. Let's take a quick break and talk about the other second-year quarterback in another team that's made a lot of changes. <laughs> this podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. And I have to say, speaking from experience, recently, having tried it for the first time in Detroit, it is absolutely delicious. Right now, you can get $5 off any 8-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number 8, S-A-V-E. Go to JetsPizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jets' signature 8-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's number 8, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza. Better because it has to be. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around different stressors. I do, you do, we all do. Big, small. And when we keep them bottled up, as I sometimes have had happen in the past, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. It's helpful for learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. It empowers you to be the best version of yourself. It isn't just for those who have experienced major trauma. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Mina Show today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Mina Show, M-I-N-A-S-H-O-W. Okay, so I also went back, Marcel, and watched Zach Wilson before I get to my take, I want to ask you, what was your thoughts on him watching him his rookie season? I did not like Zach Wilson coming out of BYU. I oh, will say, okay. I will preface this with that. I thought that he made a couple flashy throws uh, against bad competition, which is an unfair argument for somebody who just said you can only play the games on your schedule. But uh, I didn't think he was particularly special. I thought last year's quarterback class was Trevor Lawrence and then the rest of them. But, uh, you know, he, he does have – he has the arm talent. He has the arm talent. I, I just – the decision-making, I'm not sure of. And that's basically what I saw when he was healthy last season. Uh, he only did get to play Miami one time, and I think he had a pretty decent game from what I remember. But it, it, he, I don't know. It, it, there's also the matter of, like, it's kind of like the same conversation as we have with Tua in that we've seen so many quarterbacks come into the league and be superstars right away that mm-hmm. we've been groomed to think it's that that's the norm. And that's not – it's not the norm. That's not normal. Yeah. Joe Burrow, Justin Herbert are not normal. Pat Mahomes is not normal. Lamar, Baker Mayfield's first year, that's not how things are supposed to be. So, like, I'm not willing to say that Zach Wilson is a bust and the Jets need to move on. Yeah. But I do love that they at least 
put some talent around him to yes similar to what they're doing in miami like isolate the variable a bit i agree i think this is there is there are some are some similarities to miami i also think like you mentioned all these quarterbacks who succeeded year one most of them walked into pretty good situations um not the case for a lot of these quarterbacks last year certainly not the case for zach wilson i however so the two games that i watched in full were the saints and the bucks game the saints game and the bucks game because you know i think there's kind of a consensus Zach Wilson played better as the season went on. Um, and you see that, definitely. He definitely looked, le- well, not in the Saints game. My God, that was, whew. <laughs> but um, in the Bucks game, I-, I think you definitely saw some of the, certainly some of the playmaking that's kind of his signature. Um, and then the athleticism, which he started using more down the stretch. But I also saw just continued struggles versus pressure, holding on to the football too long, at times, you know, kind of locking in and missing open guys downfield. Granted, watching these games, I learned the identity of several Jets players I didn't know existed, (laughs) which is, of course, a point in Zach Wilson's favor, right? Because, um, you know, he wasn't throwing to all-stars, especially with some of the injuries that they had. But I thought the offensive line would be worse. And while they weren't fantastic... I really put a lot of that on Wilson, just really holding on to the ball a long time. 30% of the time he was pressured, it turned into a sack, which was the second worst in the NFL. Um, All of his stats under pressure are really rough. QBR of four when pressured. That's worst in the NFL, unsurprisingly. I... (laughs) So I just, you know, I think that's just the thing. Like, the the transition was really rough because, you know, BYU was playing behind the Great Wall. And one would hope that with some of the additions that they've made on the line, they didn't make a ton, adding Lakin Thompson, I guess hoping that Mekhi Becton returns to form, that you'd see some improvement and comfort from him. But I I think that's just going to be like a massive, massive challenge for him going forward. It is, and and like you mentioned, uh, that curve, the learning curve from playing uh, Mountain West. Is it Mountain West, or did BYU go independent? Uh, BYU is independent, right? Yeah. That's what I thought. So either way, playing BYU competition and then playing in the NFL is it's a it's a massive, massive, massive step up, and so he predictably struggled with that. Yes, but. Again, it, it's holding on to the ball. That's a that's a kind of trademark rookie yeah. mistake. So there's hope, and like he did, he did calm down a bit toward the end of the season. And so like maybe some of the progress that he made isn't necessarily quantifiable. Like you you can't maybe see it on the stat sheet, but watching the games, like he he gets the ball out quicker, then that's that's fine. Like, I I just don't I, I need to see it before I really believe he can be a viable NFL starter and not just a guy with a nice arm. But yeah. uh, I, I do appreciate the fact that Joe Douglas has added around him. Like, I don't think that looking at this Jets offense, there's there's not too much more of a, you know, oh my God, I got to Google who number 84, 84 is. Or yeah, no, it's it's a, it's a good group. I mean, well, you need, you need Corey Davis to be better, right? But you bring in Garrett Wilson... You know, who's now there with a eighth overall pick or 10th? It was 10th. Um, so you got Wilson, Elijah Moore, who I thought was I definitely flashed a lot down the stretch. Uh, and I really, really like him as a player. 
uh, in the slot for them, although he played outside a fair amount uh, as well. And then you see so you've got some kind of inside out versatility with both him and Wilson. And then, you know, I, I, underrated, but I, I love that they brought in Uzama and Conklin at tight end. And I think um, Mike LaFleur, who I also came away kind of impressed with, I thought, you know, he did his best <laughs> last year. I think with all these pieces, like they're going to be they're going to be open. Like, you know, there's going to be a lot of schemed up opportunities for Wilson. He just has to start making them in structure for me to believe. Yeah. And that's a, that's a major criticism of Zach Wilson last year. So like looking at his, his receivers or his targets, average yards of separation, third most in the NFL, with, yes. but it's 3.8 yards, but his completion percentage over expectation was negative 10.3. So like you're throwing to open guys and you're not hitting anywhere near as many as as you should. Is that because you're seeing it too late? Probably. Or, or you're you're hesitant to to pull the trigger. You're not seeing routes develop or windows open ahead of time. Yeah, I can I can chalk all that up to being a rookie, but those numbers have to that that yeah. that completion over expectation that has to drastically improve. And it has to do it pretty pretty quickly. Pretty quickly. Pretty yeah. early on in the season. Like, this isn't a, he's not going to get, I don't think he gets a third year if year two is also bad. Woo, really? You think? Today's NFL, It's that kind of, it's that kind of league. It's that kind of league. Let me look at their first few games just to see if, like, when people start. So they got the Ravens first, the Browns, the Bengals, the Steelers, the Dolphins, the Packers, the Broncos. Woo, that is a tough slate of defenses to open up with. (laughs) It's going to be... I, I, I think Wilson's going to get more time, but I also agree with you. Like, the panic meter is going to be high. Um, if this, if the, the, he doesn't need to take a huge leap. He just needs to, they just need to go from, like, you know, 32nd to, like, 22nd or something, I think, for yeah, Jets like, fans to feel And maybe, maybe that was dramatic. You know, maybe won't get a third year. It's a little well, you're bit in, You're in Miami, so you're accustomed now to pe- just constant quarterback. It's time to move on. So I feel like maybe that's affecting your brain. But I think that it'll, the conversation will be there. I think if the draft pick is high enough, are you going to tell them if they if the Jets are picking top five, top four, be, and Zach Wilson is bad? That's what I'm saying. Like it's going to be there. Like you can't definitively tell them not to. Oh, I think if he finishes like worst in the NFL again, and you know, very like I do think that there's going to be an intense amount of pressure. Before we move on to defense, I want to say I think Brees Hall is going to be awesome in this offense. I we should yes. you know. Uh, he gets compared a lot to Le'Veon Bell because of like his patient style. And I think just a perfect fit for this scheme. I wish I had him on my fantasy team. Um, I think the run game is going to be good. And yeah, like I, you talked about isolating the variable. I do think like it's, even though there's a little bit of uncertainty with the offensive line, I do think it's Zach Wilson's kind of make or break or it's, pardon me, it's on his shoulders to improve. Um, defensively, a lot of change, a lot of um, interesting developments on this defense that ended up 32nd in past DVOA, 22nd, 26, pardon me, versus the run. Played a lot more man coverage than I would have thought. Uh, some of that is situational because they were, you know, um, they didn't have Carl Lawson, which was a huge issue for them. He was kind of like their marquee pick from Cincinnati as their, you know, like the edge rusher. Yeah. So he's he should be healthy and playing. Um, and joins, you know, a, a, de- a defensive group that also added Jermaine Johnson in the draft. Sneaky under the radar, Jacob Martin, former Seahawks and Texan, I think is a really nice pass rush death. 
Um, I still have questions about the interior of the defensive line and whether they'll be able to stop the run. <sighs> Quincy Williams and CJ Mosley, you get a healthy season out of CJ Mosley. Williams is very good. And then, and then a cornerback group that's just, or a secondary that's was just freaking awful last year. Awful. Yeah. And now you've got, you got after, of course, Sauce Gardner with your first pick. Uh, you signed DJ Reed, who's a very good cornerback with Seattle. Makes a lot of sense with Robert Sala. Uh, and then you bring in Jordan Whitehead, uh, and who joins, you know, hopefully a healthy LaMarcus Joyner, who I thought it, it was, again, a very sneaky, underrated signing for them. So I like all these moves, Marcel, but the problem is, like, you know, they haven't played together. Like, this is all, this is a very on-paper defense right now. Yeah, and, you know, I mentioned before, I love, I love what, what Joe Douglas has done in terms of adding talent over the past few seasons. Uh, you know, it's, and this offseason was exactly the same. I don't know if any other team had a better first four picks than, than the Jets did. I love Sauce Gardner. Um, it's a shame about Bryce Hall because I really liked him out of Virginia, and it, it, it's tough that, you know, yeah. he came back and got hurt. You hate to see that. But, uh, you know, I love what Quinton Williams was able to do last year, you know, putting six acts together on the board. He and, uh, he and Franklin Myers were, were strong on the defensive line. Uh, they do need Johnson to come in and, and add another threat um, to that front seven. They do need C.J. Mosley to stay healthy. It's a different defense when he's on and off the field. But uh, – I don't. I don't know what to. I don't know what to make of Nas Realdeen. Um, liked him out of Florida State, but moving to linebacker from safety, it's not usually a compliment. Mm -hmm. But uh, yeah, I. I just. I don't think that this is. It, it's one of those. It's almost like Patriots, where like you assume because of the coach that it'll be at least a well-coached unit. Yeah. Uh, and I think you're just waiting on the talent. So yeah, this right. would be. More they, of a way to judge Salah than last year. I, I totally agree. It was kind. Of, it's kind of like I feel like this is kind of a theme right now in the AFCs. It's like okay, how much of this was on this versus how much of it was on that? Like the talent, right? Like they were so bad, but you know Salah, his defense, is, is, so much of it is contingent on getting that four man rush, and they just didn't have dudes last year, and um, he didn't. Also, just you know, such little talent at cornerback and in that secondary. So. Now you've got dudes, and I think it's kind of like put up. Or sh I mean, you talked about Zach Wilson. Robert Sala's on the hot seat um, now with this defense. Like, they cannot be the worst in the NFL against the pass again, or people are going to be looking at him super askance, I think, assuming that some of these guys stay healthy. I, yeah, I, I do. I do agree. You get one year. You get one year of, of leniency because of the situation you walked into, a talentless defense, a no-name defense, respectfully. I guess as respectfully as I could possibly I think say that. Jets fans would agree. <laughs> but um, but now, like, you, especially in year two, like, your fingerprints are a lot more on this roster than they were last season. And these are the guys that you have put in that position. It's time to put them in position to succeed. And, like, you're going to have to take it. You, you got to take what they do with a little grain of salt because, like you said, like, for – for a team that finished last in in the NFC or the AFC East, like that is a ridiculous schedule until the later yeah. the last half of the season. So like I'm what I'm I'm expecting I guess from the Jets would be, you know they they're obviously they're going to struggle in in those first. Jeez, I mean how many is that? That's two. I think four, defensively six, it's less challenging eight, than offensively. Nine. I mean obviously you know you got. Uh, Lamar Jackson and Burrow, but you got the Browns in there. Who the hell knows what's going on there? Steelers. 
Um, and then the, we'll see. But the Dolphins' offense could be really good, but yeah, we'll I think see. like defensively, they they shouldn't be. They should have some decent games. But yeah, like halfway through the season, if they're not like, there could be some well, that's, un- unrest there. That's the the kind of beauty of it for them is you know they have this stretch where they're they're at Green Bay and then they're at Denver, and that defense is probably going to get worn out yeah. during that stretch. Um, but late November, then they've got the Bears, they got the Vikings, the Bills again, but then they got the Lions, the Jags, the Seahawks, the Dolphins. Like, so if they can just kind of weather the storm, I'm not saying they're going to play make a playoff push, but just weather the storm and not Bears. completely implode, then we might be able to see an uptick for them once the light turns on against yeah. competition that is not gunning for. So- like the Super Bowl, like I don't think anybody, any no, team besides the Bills I just mentioned, is a playoff contender. It's this is directional. Like you want to see improvement. I think a successful season for the Jets is obviously seeing Zach Wilson better at handling pressure, um, more productive in structure, um, and I, you know I think that's possible. By the way, I want, I want to be clear, Jets fans, I'm not totally out on Zach Wilson. I think of all the quarterbacks in the NFL, like it, it's not surprising. I mean, Trey Lance, you can throw in there as well, but, you know, he landed in a very good situation, obviously didn't play much. But, like, of course there was going to be a challenging year one leap. It is encouraging that he played better as the season went on. But you need to see another pretty significant leap, I think, this year. Um, And like we said, it is going to be challenging early in the season, given the amount of talent they've given him. And then defensively, like, yeah, you can't – you got to be – I mean, what you want to see is, like, Robert Sala's – stamp on this unit you want to see i think at least one of those edge rushers play at a very high level and then i think just gardner and reed like that should be a good cornerback group so you just kind of want to see gelling as the year goes on and i think if they finish just in the top 20 i think you feel at least good about the direction that this franchise is going in jets fans are probably like no we're better than that if you believe that i'm sorry but i'm just saying Maybe it'll happen, but to me, I'm setting the bar lower. I'm saying, like, success looks like, you know, taking that leap from, like, 32nd to 20 is, on both sides of the ball, I think, good enough yeah. to feel good about where this team's going. I Yeah, I agree. I agree there. They, like, you have to set reasonable expectations for, for New York right now because you they do play in a – they play in a tough division here. All they right, play in a well, tough division. <laughs> they play in a tough conference. Like, it, tough as in – they're not, you know, they're not better than the Bills, obviously. They're not better than the Dolphins, I don't think. I, I, I can't definitively say that they're better than the Patriots because, I mean, even if the rosters look the same, then I'm going to fall back to coaching, and I think New England's got a better coaching staff or got a better head coach. So, like, it, it, it's it's a division that's going to be tough for them to make real noise in, but mostly they play in a meat grinder conference. So, yes, like, nobody's really yeah. expecting you to do, you know, spectacular things. You just kind of have to, you know, be be watchable. 20th <laughs> ranked defense, like, you're you're watchable. You're watchable. Yeah. You're not world-beating. But, like, I don't have to, if I'm a Jets fan, I don't have to groan and cover my eyes every time you take the field. Well, let's talk about a team, finally, that has very high expectations. I think would be very disappointing for fans, if not only if they don't win the division, but they don't make a deep playoff run, and that is the Buffalo Bills. Let's just start treetops. Do you agree that they're the favorite to win the Super Bowl? Yeah, 
uh, most complete roster in the NFL uh, on either side of the ball. Um, top three quarterback in the NFL and, you know, what? Uh, great coaching staff. It's just whatever, what do you want to say? Arguably best front office in the NFL. It is, there's no real weakness to this Bills team right now. And I thought the weaknesses that they did have were well addressed this off season. I'm looking at the roster, like it, just picking nits. If you had to find a weakness, I mean, what we talked about this, I talked about with Nate Tice with the offense, he pointed to the offensive line and I'm inclined to agree just looking at this group. Um, you know, I think they'll be fine, but that's a group where, you know, there's, I think depth could be an issue. And I, you know, your team's really good when you're just talking about like if a guy gets injured, but I, I think that would probably be it for me. I mean, is there anything else that jumps out to you as a potential soft spot? Uh, that's, that's hard. I liked adding Roger Saffold to the mix. Um, you know, Spencer Brown was a lot better than, I think a lot of fans and people around the league expected as a rookie uh, with a little bit of refining, he should have a strong second year. Um, I would maybe nitpick wide receiver. Um, obviously Diggs is great. And uh, I remember, I do remember, I don't know, I don't know what we, you and I talked about uh, on this pod one year ago today. That's an incredible tidbit, <laughs> but uh, I do remember telling you Steph was a top eight receiver in the NFL and people were surprised by that. And then he mm. went and got 1,500 yards, 100, whatever, catch. Like, he is he is extremely good. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. Gabe Davis had an awesome game against the Chiefs, but he's never had that serious of a role, uh, you know, as, as a starter. And they're That's probably going to look at him as a number two here. Um, Jameson Crowder and Isaiah McKenzie, I think, combined can fill the slot role. But it, it's, not, it's not really very – it doesn't excite you outside of Stephon Diggs. Uh, Gabe Davis intrigues you, but I don't know if the, him as a number two excites you until you see what he can do with he, regular it's run. It's got to be consistent, yeah. I'm mean, like Jameson Crowder, but yet, like, you need – I like Isaiah McKenzie, you know, in the moment three flash. They drafted Khalil Shakir, but you're right. There's not a lot of, like – there's. I would say when you look at Bounce, Stephon Diggs, there's not, like, a totally proven number two, and that could potentially be an issue then for sure. Um, I mean, I guess Nate brought up the other thing, which is like, you know, Brian Dable's gone. And I guess that's, that is a totally reasonable question. Um, you, you elevate. Uh, so Ken Dorsey is now the offensive coordinator. And, you know, we've talked about this. This offense did evolve a bit last season. I think they're going to need to continue to evolve as defenses play them with those two high shells. Um, the run game needs to be better. It did get better. You need to be able to operate underneath. I think we talked about them, you know, showing a bit more versatility in terms of their personnel usage, obviously moving away from those four wide receiver sets, uh, using the tight ends and fullbacks more. Um, do you like, do you think Ken Dorsey, I assume you spent time around him um, being the quarterback's coach there. Like, do you have any concerns about the ability of this offense to continue to evolve? Not necessarily. I think that, there might be a, a couple growing pains in terms of how to manage a game in real time that any first time coordinator and first time play caller will, you know, needs to learn. But, uh, you know, losing Shea Tierney, who was the assistant quarterbacks coach, uh, losing him to the Giants stung a bit. Mm-hmm. But they also added they added Joe Brady as a quarterbacks coach. And I don't think a lot of people are talking about that and the impact that he will inevitably inevitably have on Buffalo's passing game, I, I think is yeah. really intriguing 
to watch. Um, run game, Devin Singletary really, really came on toward the end of yeah. last season and uh, to the point where I think Zach Moss is officially obsolete in that yeah. offense. Um, it's, it's tough, but, I mean, he, he didn't hang on to the ball and he didn't make – he didn't stay healthy. And, you know, meanwhile, Singletary was just like a model of consistency. You know, he's not like he, – he, he had uh, – his floor and ceiling aren't super far apart, but you generally know what you're going to get with Singletary. He can get you 65-ish yards or plus – Every game, uh, he's going to make the first guy miss. He's not a burner. He's not a home run hitter per se, but he is a. He's got good vision, and you could tell that he really learned from his season with Frank Gore. Uh, adding James Cook, I think, helps that little. Uh, you know, helps give him that pass catcher out the backfield mm-hmm. and a guy who can also line up in the slot. Uh, when you talk about okay. taking you know underneath routes and, and working short, uh, I think that's a guy that's going to have a big impact. Uh, we do need to talk about corner. Um, yeah, I was gonna say that's I, that's the other one that jumps out potentially in terms of just depth and yeah, but that's a that's you know when Tre Davis White comes back, it's it's gonna be fine. Like it's it's gonna be fine. I love Kyrie Elam. I thought it was a massive pick for them. Um, gonna be a little bit a little bit tricky if Trey White's not ready for the start of the year. Uh, when you look at that that opening schedule, I mean, uh, Rams, Titans, Dolphins, Ravens, Steelers, Chiefs, Packers. Uh, there's a few teams in there with some wide receivers that they're going to need their their all pro corner to yes. play against. Do you think uh, Kyrie Elam starts, or do you think they'll roll with Dane Jackson opposite Tre'Davious White at first? I think that it's going to be until White gets back. It's going to be like the comp. That's the competition, right? You know, whoever plays better out of those two, because obviously Elam and Jackson need to start in place of uh, while White is out. Oh, what, so whoever what? out. When is White playing? Like, what's the injury timeline? Sorry, I, well, I assumed the, he was I week one ready. I didn't. Is that I'm not in doubt? I'm not. I don't think that it's. I don't think that it's concrete. I think they're hoping that he's he's a week one starter. Okay. Um, I mean, he should be in theory, but uh, I think it's one of those situations where they they don't want to, um, you know, they they don't want to add an expectation before they know. Mm. Like, they don't want to put that kind of pressure on her just in case there's some sort of setback or it's not progressing like it needs to, but. He, he tore his ACL on Thanksgiving. In theory, he should be ready for training camp. But uh, I, I think that, you know, I, I think eventually, by the end of the season, Kyra Elam starts. Like, yeah. It's, he's your first-round corner. He's uh, your, the first-round corner fans have been begging for yeah, for no, I'm, know, I'm two, huge, three years. I'm a huge fan. I talked about a little bit. We talked about the defenses. I love his length, his physicality. Um, you know, I thought he was a really impressive I think this came up in the Alabama game um, in uh, coverage at times with Jameson Williams. I I think that he is going to be great. I am a little bit worried about him being thrown into the fire week one if Tredavious White isn't starting, even though this safety group duo, which is, of course, best in the NFL, can cover up a lot. Um, I think you know losing Levi Wallace would suddenly be like, ooh, that's where that kind of shows up as if – Trey White is either not starting immediately or not himself from the jump. Uh, yeah, it, it, it's uh, especially against the Rams. That's a uh, on Thursday night football prime time. You know, there's going to be a lot of fanfare because of the the Super Bowl win. Like that is a that's a big ask of a of a rookie. Um, it, it's one thing if he's starting opposite of Trey White. Um, then I think. Uh, I mean, it might. It, 
they're still going to attack him, yeah, but at least be, there's going to be enough. If Trey White plays, he's going to get thrown out a lot. But you might, you have to think Poyer and Hyde, that they're going to really, really, um, you know, roll coverage to help him as much as possible. Yeah, exactly. So, like, there's there's just more talent. There's more, and there's more veteran presence, you know, on that, on that field to kind of guide him as the game goes. Uh, I like Dane Jackson a lot. Um, you know, liked him as a as that seventh round pick out of Pitt a couple of years ago, but it's it's not quite it's not quite the same, you know, in terms of veteran presence, and it's definitely in terms of talent, it's not Tre'Davious White. So, mm-hmm. you know, by season's end, it, yeah, I think that it, it's got to be it's got to be Kyrie Kyrie Elam mm-hmm. starting opposite of White. Otherwise, something probably went wrong. But mm-hmm. uh, you know, to start to see, it just it depends on you know. Thank God these kids have have preseason games now not yeah. like a couple of years ago so you know the first time he steps on the nfl field is not going to be against the reigning super bowl champions and cooper cup i want to be clear i'm not worried about this defense at all <laughs> i think they're i mean no. yeah yeah, yeah. yeah, we're trey white is, yeah we're nitpicking here i mean this is a defense that was incredible without trey white they're incredibly well coached um you know this is a defense that uses a ton of disguise on the back end it's enabled, of course, by, again, the safety duo. You know, uh, Next Chess has this stat hawk rate, which is like, you know, accounts for both interceptions, pass breakups or whatever. Poyer and Hyde ranked third and fifth in the NFL. Like, that's insane. They're so good. Um, you know, first in QBR, in zone coverage. Uh, yeah, I, they're just sensational. And they're also going to be helped, again, if there's a question mark at uh, corner by the pass rush, which I expect to be better than last year, a year in which they ranked sixth in pass rush win rate, um, second in pressure. I mean, they're just, they were unbelievable with Jerry Hughes. Now you throw in Von Miller, who was fantastic last season, and you get a, ideally another leap from Greg Rousseau, who I thought really flashed for them. They're deep on the D-line, like, you know, behind those guys, yeah. you've got a ton of talent. You've got still, you know, AJ Epinesa, Boogie Basham, Shaq Lawson. Like, I, is there anything about this front set? I mean, why not? The linebackers, they did lose AJ Klein, but they've got Edmonds and hopefully a healthy, healthy Matt Milano. Like, this pass rush should be one of the best in the NFL. Yeah, and everything you said is, is nail on the head. Um, it, it's a different era now without Hughes and Mario Addison. Uh, and you know they all knew that this this day was coming, this year was coming, especially when they spent a first and second round pick on Rousseau and Epinesa, and another second, I believe, on, on Basham. But uh, one thing that people aren't maybe not noticing, aren't noticing outside of Buffalo, is the additions of Shaq Lawson and Jordan Phillips. Neither of those guys, Jordan Phillips, I think, had nine mm-hmm. and a half sacks in 2019. It was. A, Little, 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 little bit of a fluke, but he's still, he's a, you know, he's an effective pass rusher. I don't think he's going to come in and get, you know, a double digit sack season. I don't think Shaq Lawson is going to come in and, you know, light the league on fire either on paper, but it's in the locker room where these guys are going to make a massive difference. When I was there in 2019, those guys were the, the dogs in the locker room. Those were the, the energy, the tone setters. In the lock, when they left in 2020, when you saw Buffalo lose games, they were kind of getting bullied. Yeah, and, and and you saw it a little bit last year as well. They they just they're just bullied. That's the only really way I think I can I can describe it. 
their dogs in the locker room on defense now. They're guys who are going to get in your face and jaw at you all game in, in Phillips and Lawson now that they didn't have over the past two years. I think that, you know, when you look at Buffalo, and, and we're nitpicking, we're nitpicking, but when you look at Buffalo the past two years, they've lacked that kind of attitude. This was the criticism, I think, of Buffalo on both sides of the ball at times. You're like, okay, this is kind of like a finesse team, right? Um, how good are they running the ball and stopping the run? And I think just, the again, like the depth. Like you had Tim Settle, for example, from Washington yeah. on that D-line who's going to be really stout for them. I, I just think, yeah, they look more complete to me this year. Um, you know, maybe I was overstepping a little bit by saying best pass rush because – you know, Von Miller is getting up in the years, and Greg Rousseau, you do need a leap from him, and there's definitely units with, I think, more stars. You know, you look, go to a team like, I don't know, the Chargers, you got Bosa and Mac or whatever, but, like, just in terms of, like, the depth and completeness of this front, I just don't feel like, I don't see how you could be concerned. No, and like we were talking about earlier in the pod, the rotational pass rush yeah. is, is going to be because And then you still have Ed Oliver, who we, we haven't mentioned. At all, at Oliver, who had a snapback year playing in a more yeah. traditional three-tech role, um, he was asked to play, you know, one-tech with Star Ludele layout uh, in 2020. That's not – he's not really big enough to do that and mm -hmm. struggled a lot, but uh, he's still spectacular. Um, I'm, I'm excited about A.J. Epinesa. I thought, you know, in, in training camp before I left Buffalo, I thought he was primed for, for a great year. Uh, he looks the part. I mean, between him and, and Greg Rousseau, that's like – 13 feet worth of defensive end and uh like they're just they're they're huge they pass the eye test uh it, it was just it's it's been a spectacular accumulation of talent over the past few years and what makes it even more impressive is the fact that they they haven't like they haven't lost anybody they haven't lost any any major any major names they've been able to keep their their core keep their foundation um you know without having to make a major sacrifice. Like I thought it was a, you know, foregone conclusion. They were going to lose Matt Milano a couple of years ago. Yeah. And you know, the ability to bring him back to bring Daryl Williams and John Feliciano back, you know, obviously Feliciano didn't work out. Um, you know, they let him go to, they let him go to, uh, to New York. But the, the, the fact that, you know, guys are so willing to stay in Buffalo because of what they're building toward, I think can't be really overstated. Uh, it's, mm. it's, it's Super Bowl or bust for, yeah. for the bills well, right now. I, let me, let me wrap by asking you then. I think and we kind of address this cause it's funny in you know, the Buffalo section is just us trying to find holes on this bill's roster. <laughs> what is the one thing that would make it be go bust and you know, would hold this team back from winning a Super Bowl? Like that would, in your eye, in your mind, uh, potentially derail what should be a championship team. Ooh, have to derail a championship team. Um, maybe not getting, not getting the one seed, and not getting that kind of home advantage by by playing playoffs um, all in Buffalo and making teams travel to Buffalo. Um, man, I'm really like reaching into my hat here. No. It's, uh, I mean, I, I think the AFC, because it's, there's it's so hard. many terrifying offenses, I would say if Von Miller's production falls, maybe, you know, and he's not the guy, obviously he's a little bit, he's about like 33 or something right now. Um, or I think, it, you know, we talked about cornerback. I think if you have some issues there with depth, I think the pass defense, I think just has to, but again, we're, we're talking about hypotheticals. We're like, you know, this is not what I expect to happen based on what we've seen. Yeah. 
but I think that would be a potential issue for them just given how the AFC is. Yeah, just like try like it, it's really hard, and I'm trying to like come up with ideas that don't involve players getting hurt. Right. Um, <laughs> and outside of outside of injuries, like I just no, I don't I don't see it. Like the NFL is the NFL, and anything can happen. I guess is the best way I can describe it. But uh, there's a there's a ton of pressure on this team because yeah. it's no more like oh win a playoff game, oh we want to host a playoff game, oh we want to win the AFC East. Like you're expected to win the AFC East. You're expected to win up two playoff games. You're expected to win the Super Bowl. The Buffalo Bills are expected to win the Super Bowl. That's they're still kind of navigating. I, yeah, they're still navigating into that. You know, I I, I like to I, I always like to talk to Sean McDermott about the mentality in the locker room of going from hunting to hunted, mm. or hunter to hunted, mm-hmm. because something's got to fundamentally change in your mind, right? Like you can't just have this damn chip on your shoulder 24 7 like we're not being respected we're not being that yeah you are though <laughs> you are being respected everybody respect respects you. you you're the betting favorite so yeah yeah like now that you can't really unless you just love lying you can't draw that you can't draw from that anymore to garner your motivation <laughs> hey, like, didn't you tom brady try they did pull that though with the bucks here they won the super bowl at one point he was like nobody believes in a, i feel like, like, like you, you know is this yeah, Where do they find this. They're like that. I don't know. Uh, my, Great teams always. One do of my that. favorite tweets of all. One of my favorite tweets of all time is uh, somebody who's like, "You will always see somebody on Twitter who's just arguing with nobody." Like, oh, I was told Steph Curry wasn't a good shooter. Like, that's that's what these guys. You know, that's kind of what athletes have to do. But like, deep down, you know, it's a lie. Like, yeah. people see you as the best team in the NFL. So I, I would love to see how they further navigate. Uh, how they further navigate mm-hmm. life as, as the, you know, they're not really the top dog. Cause I think what they'll tell you is, you know, we're not top dog until we win the Super Bowl. So maybe they'll hang on to that, but uh, just mentally how they keep up over the course of the season is, is something that I guess I'll keep an eye on or I'm, I'm interested in. Yeah. But uh, I, I think this is the Super Bowl. I think this is your Super Bowl winner Whew. right here on paper. All right. Well, Super Bowl prediction. I like it. All right. Um, speaking of predictions, I, I have another question for you, but uh, it's part of Dinks and Dunks. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. And now it's time for Dinks and Dunks. I'm getting paid for this, right? As always, five questions for our guest, four from me, one from Lenny. Actually, I have two I'm, I'm going to ask you for a bunch of predictions, so I'm sorry in advance. People don't get mad at Marcel if these are wrong. Um, let's start with, <laughs> we, we, we talked about Jimmy Garoppolo. Where do you think he plays right now? Where do I think he plays? Or I guess, do you think he starts? You know, is another... That's, 
extremely tough. Um, you know, obviously they, they, I think that San Francisco is wanting to commit to, uh, is wanting to commit to, to Trey Lance, but there's really not, there's not a lot of openings this year. There's not a lot of like quarterbacks that need, like maybe the Panthers could use a quarterback, uh, you know, in terms of just that teams that, that, yeah. that need someone. That's, that's the only one that I can, I can really think of right now. Yeah. Um, don't even want to look at the AFC West because that's. You're not going uh, to Seattle. Not going to Seattle. Like, the de- yeah, definitely. You're not going to trade a quarterback in division. That's nuts. So, everybody else is kind of spoken for here. You know, maybe maybe the Giants if can do a little early to midseason trade if Danny Jones is not up to standard. But, uh, yeah, it, it, it kind of looks like his, his hands are a little tied here, but Carolina would be gun to my head, I would, I would say, there, if he plays. Yeah. It's kind of Carolina or San Francisco, right? Um, yeah, it'll be – Carolina, the, the, the Baker-Jimmy sweepstakes seems to be – it seems to be headed in that direction. So we'll see, but I think that's good thing. It's going to take a second to play out over the course of this summer. Um, okay, this is another one. Prediction. In one year, when you and I take this podcast again on the exact same day, <laughs> is Tua Tagovailoa the starting quarterback of the Miami Dolphins? Yes, um, I think this works. I think yeah, that this is going to too. work. Um, all the pieces are there. Um, I don't think Tua Tua is not as bad. Not I don't think Tua is not as bad as he gets credit for, or I guess you know what I'm trying to say, <laughs> as yes. the internet says he is. Which is uh, not a straw man. <laughs> it's a true thing. No, it's a it's a thing. I see it. The slander Daily. is real. Yeah. But like he's not deserving of all the slander he receives. I think uh you know, I don't I think he maybe maxes out as like a maybe top twelve, top thirteen kind of guy who, depending on the matchup, could sneak into the top ten on any given week. But uh, you know, I, I think that he's motivated as well. He's comfortable. I think he's the kind of quarterback that needs that kind of support system around him and he never necessarily felt comfortable with the previous staff. Uh, I think, yes, he's the quarterback. Um, he is the quarterback on July 3rd, 2023. Very sassy this offseason. That, that's new, right? I mean, the sass level? Extremely new. Oh, yeah. my goodness. I was like, I'm like looking around at that scrum. Like, who is this? Where's it coming never from? Spoke, I've never heard you speak in this manner before. That's a, sassy. That's different. Yeah. But, uh, I will say, though, like, it's just kind of, kind of interesting. I'd be remiss to leave it out. Uh, the Dolphins made it a point not to trade any premium picks in 2023 because they they have their first round pick. They have the Niners' first round pick. I think they have uh, they have a second, and then they have mm. their third and the Patriots' third. So that's five in the top three rounds. Mm. If this doesn't work. There's a lot of ammo to move up in the yeah. first round and I grab think a quarterback. What's so tricky, though, Marcel, is like doesn't work is going to be very murky, right? Because I think you and I both agree yeah. this Dolphins offense is going to be better. So it's like, okay, if you finish, I don't know, 15th overall and you make it to the playoffs, is that bad enough? Like what is, you know what I mean? Like no, I think it's going I, to be very fascinating. Like what does doesn't work mean to this organization? I think if your offense is not quantifiably improved from last season, yeah, then and Nobody, and if that reason yeah. is because of Tua, just, then 
that's kind of it. Like, I don't think they're expecting top 10 or bust here. Uh, but but it can't be 26th. It could be a tricky these. spot. Could be a tricky spot. Like, it's going to be a debate. You know what I mean? If they finish 15th and they do have those picks and you're looking at those quarterbacks, it's going to be a debate. Yeah, you know, it's all, it's kind of like arbitrary here. You gotta, it's hard to predict it before you see it. But I I think that, you know, there is a, there is a plausible scenario in which they have ammunition to move up for a guy like CJ Stroud or Bryce Young, or maybe Tyler Van Dyke, you know, kid out of Miami. Like there are, there are quarterbacks in next year's draft that I think teams are going to want to trade up for and probably one or two that nobody's talking about right now and will come out of nowhere, I'm sure. Yeah. So like it's it's not I, I say I think, you know, I, I, I am on record now saying I think Tua will be the starter on seven three twenty-three. Like undeniable. Like that's my take right now. But I'm not saying that there's like no other plausible scenario yeah. in which they move on from them. Like they have ammunition to do so. I think it, yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be a lot of pressure either way on everyone. Everybody's under pressure right now. I don't think Mike McDaniel's under pressure, but I think Chris Greer no. is under pressure. I think ownership's under pressure. I think Tua's under pressure. It's gonna be fascinating. Um, third question: Who do you think has that first overall pick? I'm I'm really pressing you for predictions right now. Man, yeah, that's a that's kind of that's tough. Um, long shot, not long shot, because I'm sure that they're. You know, it's a it's, it'd be a good bet, but I think Carolina is, you know, the defense is, has some pieces, but is pretty devoid of talent on offense outside of DJ Moore and Christian McCaffrey. Um, I think that offensive line is improved, but still not good. Uh, and then obviously they don't have the most important position in sports, so mm-hmm. uh, I would go Carolina as like the the hipster number one overall pick. I don't want to just say over like Houston Jacksonville. or Jackson. Yeah, I mean, I don't think it's gonna be Jacksonville. I think. Because they get to play Houston too. Carolina tough division. That's going to be tricky too. That it influences like if you're a Carolina fan, do you you don't you? I, I'm sure a lot of them don't want to be good this year. Um, but then yeah, you've got like, this this head coach who's clearly on the hot seat. I think Carolina fans probably mostly want him out. Um, it's a lot. Of, it, it's an interesting case study for like incentives, right? Like whose timeline is triumphing here? I don't know. It's going to be interesting. Yeah, I think that's uh. Because especially, like, how much is Jimmy Garoppolo going to cost? How much would Baker Mayfield cost? I think Baker should be Baker should be cheap. Yes. You know, I, I hate, like, using this kind of terminology, but, like, you know what I'm saying. Like, Baker shouldn't take premium picks. Like, yeah. I, I, you should be able to send a mid-round pick to Cleveland for Baker Mayfield. He doesn't want to play, and they owe him a lot of money. Like, so, wipe your you're, hands. You're not paying him $18 million if you're Carolina either. No. But it's like, do you, God, no. do you want that? Do you, as a fan, like, do you want to be, it's the same with the Seahawks. It's like, how much do you want to be watchable? I don't know. It's an interesting question. Yeah. Do you want to be good or watchable? Right. Like, well, you're uh, not going to be good, I think you, but do you want to be bad or be... watchable? I think is the question. Yeah. Can you settle for watchable? Like that's right. And do I guess as that? long as Christian McCaffrey is a Panther, like you're somewhat watchable. Yeah. I mean, I like JC Horn coming back. There's some good players on this defense, but yeah, it's. It's a, it's a definitely a reasonable pick. All right. Speaking of picks, last this is last. It's not a prediction. Um, content recommendation. Something you I know you were on vacations. So you probably had some time to read or watch or relax or listen. What is something that you have enjoyed lately 
that you could recommend to listeners? What have I enjoyed lately? Um, man, what have I been watching? Uh, I've been watching the boys a lot. Like I've really been vegging out. Like this is turned my brain up. off season. Caught so uh, I need, there's a, there's one episode that, you know, I was, I was out of the country for, so I need to probably watch that after we stop now. Um, <laughs> but that's been a lot of fun. I've been watching a lot of cooking shows, really? um, a lot of cooking shows and cooking TikToks. Yeah. I'm trying to, uh, start, you know, Miami is, uh, it's very sunny. It's very warm. It's also very expensive and I need to stop eating out. So I'm trying to start, you know, getting back into cooking. Um, you know, I made these like made these breakfast sandwiches I saw on the internet yesterday that were um, wow. it's like scrambled eggs. I used andouille sausage, um, some bacon, cheese uh, between like King Hawaiian rolls and then glazed the Hawaiian rolls in this honey butter, popped them in the oven to let it harden a bit. I think it was the best thing that I've ever made and I will probably do it weekly. But um That's a yeah, great just like, recommendation. Wow. Yeah, just, you know, food as a like content, food in itself. <laughs> Learn how to cook something new. Um I, I kind of dro- dropped this earlier, but I finished the book Migrations by Charlotte McC- Charlotte McConaughey. I'll recommend that to listeners. It's about a woman who um wants to hitch on a fishing trip to track the migrations of the uh, Arctic tern, I think is the bird, and study how climate change has affected them. So the book is about like kind of, climate change plays a big role in it, but it also kind of reads like a mystery because as she's traveling, you're kind of learning more about her her dark past. I'm not spoiling anything. And it's very like compulsively readable. Like I read it really, really quickly as a result. Um, All right, last question, as always, comes from Lenny. This isn't that bad. This is not that bad. Lenny also believes the Bills are Super Bowl favorites, and he wants to know just how it feels knowing that you're leaving the team right before they go on a Super Bowl run. Uh, wow. Um, you know, because I get this a lot uh, on the internet, um, please inform Lenny that I don't actually get a Super Bowl ring. Um, I don't get a performance bonus. I just get tired. <laughs> and... Uh, so I, I, I'm, I'm actually okay with mm-hmm. it. I, I would have rather watched the, you know, I'd rather watch some of these games on TV anyways. Not that I'm complaining. Wow. If I have to game. Wow. But like, I, for example, I watched Bill's Chiefs last year from a sports bar in North Miami Beach. And it was so much fun. Like the entire, everybody in there was like running circles around the bar. Someone got kicked out for standing on top of the bar. To, like, it, it was like, wow, like, it's cool to be able to see this in person. I love that about my job. Don't get me wrong, but I, I forgot about this. Like I forgot about this feeling of just watching things for fun. So I'm okay mm. with that. You know, I, I would if Buffalo won a Super Bowl. Um, I feel like the parade would be sort of like Mardi Gras in oh my God. New Orleans. So I would. That's really what you're missing out go. on is covering the being at the parade because it would yeah. be. <laughs> Probably, you're right, like probably the most insane Super Bowl celebration we've seen in like a I'm not going to lie. Like I would, I would probably, I'd probably go. I'd probably get a plane <laughs> ticket for my girlfriend and I. Because uh, wow. I've been telling her about Buffalo wings. Like every time we have wings, like she's like, ask me like, are these good? It's like, yeah, they're fine. You know, I lived in Buffalo for two years. But like, <laughs> I'd probably go just to see it. Like I wouldn't go as a fan. 
before y'all get worked up. I wouldn't go as a fan. I'm not going to jump through a table and da 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 da. But like, I think that it would be a fun time to return to Buffalo just to see how that city burns itself to the ground. Respectfully. Respectfully.